Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast created by the California State Railroad Museum in Old Sacramento State Historic Park. At the museum, we like to say that our lives are made of railroad stories, and we tell the stories of the railroad through the stories of people. Roundhouse Crosstalk's podcast amplifies the voices of people whose jobs, experiences, and legacies intersect with the railroad. In this week's episode, we will talk to Will Hodge about how Johnny Cash was influenced by the railroad throughout his long music career. So hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundhouse Crosstalk. I'm joined today by Will Hodge. He's a, uh, an author uh, and, a, and a journalist. How are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Doing well. Um, so when we were doing research on music in the railroad, uh, um, we came across your article on Johnny Cash and how he was influenced throughout his career um, by the railroad. Um, so I was just hoping today to talk to you a little bit about your research, um, how you got into that uh, research, um, and a little bit about, about what you found out. Sure. That, that'll be fantastic. I'm really excited to, uh, to have this conversation. Um, Johnny Cash is definitely uh, one of my favorite artists. And when you talk about Johnny Cash and his train songs, that's a, that's a huge piece of his catalog. Definitely. Um, so first question we got for you today is what got you interested in this topic? Sure. So I think, I think my fascination with both um, trains and Johnny Cash uh, can easily be traced back to my childhood in Georgia. Um, I grew up just south of Atlanta and, and most of my family were scattered around the state as well. And trains were just a sort of a natural ever present part of the backdrop. Uh, everywhere we went. It's uh, trains are just as ubiquitous as like kudzu and, and waffle house down here. Um, and my initial interest in them was actually seeing them as these like mobile traveling canvases for graffiti artists. You know, I mean, like this was the 1980s and graffiti culture was just like deeply cool and fascinating to me. And uh, to this day, I don't mind getting caught at train tracks because I'm like genuinely thrilled at the opportunity of seeing new artwork and, and thinking about what state it might've been tagged in and how many different places it's traveled through. Um, plus, you know, the sound of a, a distant train whistle in the middle of the night will forever be like one of my most favorite kind of mysterious sounds of all time. And as far as being a fan of Johnny Cash, again, you know, growing up in Georgia, my dad was from Texas. And if you were riding in his truck, you really only heard two kinds of music, uh, country and or Western, you know, that was, that was pretty much it. Maybe a little Southern gospel thrown in. Um, but he was all about classic country, 50s, 60s, 70s stuff. So I got years of a sort of passenger seat education um, on the masters of that genre. And Johnny Cash has always been the one that I've gravitated towards uh, the most. He's easily in the top three artists I've written about the most over the last uh, 11 or 12 years of, of being a music journalist. So his train songs are just sort of a, um, a fascinating uh, subgenre of his catalog um, to me. Uh, and, you know, plus train songs are just so cool. Like REM's Driver 8 is one of the best songs of all time, in my opinion. And Tom Waits really knows how to write about trains and hobos, but no one really compares to Johnny Cash as far as being the master of uh, 
writing and interpreting and finding new context for these train songs. Yeah, I, like you, I also had a, um, a Johnny Cash connection um, growing up. I had a huge Johnny Cash phase. I think I told you about this in our emails <laughs> Yeah, um, in the eighth grade. And it wasn't until working here that I even like really understood or realized that like he talks about trains a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's one of the, uh, one of the genres that he feels, um, sort of not just most comfortable in, but also the most, uh, believable in. Um, I, I think that's one of the things people, when they talk about cash, you know, uh, in any, any man who sings, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die and you believe him, you know, in some way, even though, you know, you didn't really do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think he does the same thing with train songs. He, he just sort of has that connection that, um, is, is undeniable. And you just kind of see that through literally the entirety of his career from, uh, his very first single that he, the last song he ever recorded. So speaking of that, uh, that first song, so Hey Porter. Um, so you mentioned in your, your, uh, your article that, uh, that's one of the times that he assumes the role of a storyteller. Um, so can you, can you walk us through a little bit about that song? Hey Porter, hey Porter, would you tell me the time? How much longer will it be till we cross that Mason-Dixon line? At daylight, would you tell that engineer to slow it down? Or better still, just stop the train, cause I want to look around. Hey Porter, hey Porter, what time did you say? How much longer will it be till I can see the light of day? When we hit Dixie, will you tell that engineer to ring his bell? And ask everybody that ain't asleep to stand right up and yell. Really important song in his catalog for for a number of reasons. Um, most notably, it was the B side to his debut single, which was um, "Cry, Cry, Cry." That came out in the summer of um, of 1955. And Hey Porter was actually, even though it was the B side, it was actually recorded first in in March of that year at one of his earliest Sun Studio recording sessions um, for Sam Phillips there in Memphis. Uh, and the A side, what, you know, it was technically the single that was actually recorded a couple months later in May. And then both of them came out as the single in June. And, uh, you know, he's reported to have written Hey Porter during his time in the Air Force. He, uh, he served from 1950 to 1954, um, during the Korean War. The majority of that time he was in Germany. And so this song comes from being inspired by the excitement of, him not just returning home from the service, but uh, specifically returning home to the South. Like that's very important. Um, even in such an early example of his songwriting, he's only like 22 years old or so at this time. Um, you can hear his like absolute mastery of immersive storytelling, his, his ability to set a scene and create space and movement, um, establish characters and convey their emotions, like, all within this, you know, three and a half minute song. And so lyrically, um, Hey Porter just sort of creates this sort of cinematic feast for the senses. You know, he sings about smelling frost on cotton leaves and feeling the Southern breeze and setting his feet on Southern soil and breathing Southern air. Again, it's this journey to the South. Um, and of course the anchor to all of this is, is that train ride, uh, being experienced by an over the moon returning soldier. Um, 
And, and it's one that is currently being experienced in the present tense. You know, the song is not about a ride he's about to take in the future or a ride that he's just taken in the past. Um, Cash actually puts the listener right there in the moment, right beside him as this journey is progressing. You know, in the first verse, he says, at daylight, will you tell that engineer to slow it down? In the second verse, it's how much longer will it be till I can see the light of day? And then by the third verse, he's, you know, saying it's getting light outside. So you're literally verse by verse, you know, uh, going on this progression and you're hearing, seeing, feeling, experiencing the movement of that train ride from from night to morning all across the American South, um, complete with mentions of, you know, puffing smoke and screaming whistles and all that. And he also musically evokes a train in Hay Porter as well. Um, this song was his very first recording being backed by the Tennessee Two. Uh, the very few other recordings he had before this were just him and his guitar. Um, and so that was, you know, uh, Luther Perkins on electric guitar and um, Marshall Grant on on bass. And um, so so that sort of like the seeds of his famous, you know, train like rhythmic playing style, uh, what would eventually be called the, the boom chicka boom sound, um, you know, on songs like Folsom Prison Blues and Get Rhythm and I Walk the Line. Those are coming straight from Cash's acoustic guitar, like specifically his his right hand, the strumming hand. And uh, so his, with his left hand, sometimes he would play chords or just kind of dead strum uh, or even stick paper in it. But his right hand, his, his rhythm hand, that's where Hay Porter's DNA, the, the train evoking magic of the Johnny Cash sound, um, that's where it's really happening in this song. Um, and you mentioned there that um, this really shows some of the storytelling prowess that he um, even had at, at such a young age. Um, and you talk more about in your research um, of times where he extended the storytelling away from fictional accounts um, to real historical events. And you had a couple different examples of that. Yeah. Um, you know, while Cash was a, a fantastic storyteller in his songs and, and even the spoken word pieces uh, that he was famous for, he was also a really exceptional historian as well. Um, and instead of being like a stodgy, overly academic type historian, he really delivered, um, you know, this wealth of knowledge that he had through a, a deeply invitational sort of warmth. Um, and he was well versed in like conventional historical facts, but I think he gave as much weight, if oftentimes not more weight, uh, to pieces of American myth and folklore. Uh, he was an impressive interpreter of, of traditional folk songs, and he sang a bunch of tunes that mentioned uh, real world rail cars by name. Uh, songs like Rock Island Line and The Wreck of the Old 97. Um, those were both on his debut album in, in 1957. So right out of the gate, he's signaling that he was comfortable taking on the creative challenge of uh, passing down these older folk songs to a newer generation and adding a little of his own, um, you know, sonic spice to the mix. Um, some other examples of him singing about real world trains can be found in like his versions of uh, Wabash Cannonball and the city of New Orleans and the LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore and Orange Blossom Special, which, you know, that's a song where that sonic spice that I'm talking about was uh, sort of swapping out the 
originals uh, bluegrass fiddle section for his own dual harmonica playing. And, um, and he even added in some saxophone from uh, the very popular saxophone player, Boots Randolph. They're coming, coming down that railroad track. Hey, look yonder, coming, coming down that railroad track. It's the Orange Blossom Special, bringing my baby back. You know, outside of just uh, single songs, Cash would also use trains as a historical storytelling device to sort of anchor entire projects around. Um, he did it on his 1960 album, Ride This Train, which is kind of like a travelogue style album where the songs are connected by these spoken word monologues that that all start with the line, you know, ride this train to so-and-so and features the sounds of whistling locomotives and stuff like that. Um, and he also had a recurring Ride the Strain segment of uh, storytelling interstitials on his variety television show um, that he ran from 69 to, uh, I think it was 1971. But really the coolest piece, I think, of him putting on his sort of railroad historian hat uh, was this 1974 made-for-TV special called Ride in the Rails. Uh, it was like this um, like one-hour primetime documentary that aired on CBS. and in it, Cash really goes like full on train fanatic as he uh, plays tour guide through reenactments of American railroad history vignettes. And he performs a bunch of train songs in these picturesque locales. And he talks about the symbiotic relationship of the building up of American industrialization uh, through the railroads. It's like I don't know. It's like this pretty fantastic slice of 70s era American nostalgia um, with a cool snapshot of this particular segment of Cash's like vast catalog of interests. Um, I think it's available on YouTube and, and you can find it on DVD as well, but I definitely recommend folks uh, go and check that out. It was called Riding the Rails and um, I think it was an hour with commercials. So if it's on YouTube, it's probably you know less than an hour, but uh, it's a really, really um, enjoyable watch. I remember that when I was doing research for this podcast, that was like the, the most surprising thing because um, I <laughs> never knew that was there. I was just like a documentary, Johnny Cash and the Railroad. And I, I pushed play and out walked Johnny Cash. It was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was doing some research on it and it's hilarious. It, it, it like played on like the Friday night primetime slot, like the uh, the week before Thanksgiving or something like that. It was, it was a pretty big deal. And when you just kind of take a step back, um, I wasn't born yet when it was on TV, but but when you kind of just take a step back and look at it, you're like, man, Johnny Cash, who was, you know, doing really good for himself in the 70s, devoting an entire hour to literally just like let me tell you everything I know about trains. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to think that ever made it on TV, but, but I'm glad it's been, uh, sort of captured in perpetuity there. 
Definitely. The California State Railroad Museum is now the proud home of a new exhibit by the National Model Railway Association. Next time you're in the museum, make sure to swing by our state-of-the-art exhibit up on the third floor, where you'll see beautifully designed model railroads and a look behind the scenes of the hard work that goes into model railroading. You can also see an exhibit reveal up on our YouTube page. Um, okay, so so we talked a little bit. Now we're up into the um, into the seventies a little bit. Um, so so as Johnny Cash's career um, uh, continued, um, how did his relationship with the railroad change, um, and and how did he use them to reflect on his own past experiences? Yeah, it's it's really interesting when when you have these artists that have these like multi decade careers. Um, you really get to see their progression not only as an artist but uh, like as a human being, you get to kind of like travel through all those stages with them. And as Cash matured, like as a songwriter and storyteller, um, he was also maturing as an individual, you know, growing older, getting married, having kids, all that sort of stuff. And he started using train songs as a way of connecting with and better understanding his own father ray cash so much like he had always used hymns as this like relational touchstone with his mother um i think trains became that same type of if not exactly um relational maybe emotional uh touchstone with his father um and an example of this can be found on his 1977 song uh riding on the cotton belt which, uh, again, it opens with one of those classic cash spoken word monologues where he says something to the effect of, um, you know, uh, sometimes I write songs about myself, but this one's about my dad. Um, and it tells a story about his father's life as a as a working hobo who's returning home after making some money for his family, uh, returning home on a train, of course. I recently went to a big homecoming celebration in Cleveland County, Arkansas, where I was born. Whole family went down. And it was a great day for us. I felt like this day was special, especially for my mother and my daddy, though. It was daddy and mama's homecoming. And I was so proud of him riding in that carriage down the main street of Rise in Arkansas. Sometimes the songs I write sound like I'm talking about myself, but actually in some of these songs, especially this one, I'm writing it about my daddy. Riding on the cotton belt, Cleveland County's where I long to be. I got on a Brinkley, and every mile I make is a memory. This boxcar's cold and windy, and the dust goes around in circles in the air. But my hard times are behind me. I'm returning home, so I don't care. And I'm riding on the cotton belt railroad line in the pitching, rolling rhythm and the noise. Railroad men are friends of mine, and I'm riding on the cotton belt. Uh, and it shares some similar 
train ride home vibes as Hey Porter from 20 years prior. Uh, but there's a major difference being that <laughs> the protagonist in Hey Porter is a uh, ticketed passenger enjoying his ride. And the protagonist of Riding on the Cotton Belt is clearly not a ticketed passenger um, as it talks about the dangers of, you know, hopping from a train that's going too fast. I think one of the lines is, uh, I got a few new cuts and bruises, but this old working hobo's made at home or something like that. And so Cash, like he, he was an unabashed sentimentalist and, and there was such an authenticity and believability in the way he used trains to show opportunity and escapism, but um, also to kind of use them as a grounding metaphor uh, when he wanted to write um, and sing about his father. Definitely. Um, and yeah, and when I read about you talking about um, Johnny Cash using the railroad to talk about um, his own personal experiences, and, and you know, in this case, his father's experiences, um, the thing that stuck out to me was one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs growing up, uh, which was "I've Got a Thing About Trains." Um, can you talk a little bit about how that song is um, similar, how it's different? Um, than the uh, the one we just heard. Definitely. I, I would say, you know, first off, hearing Johnny Cash say the words, um, I've got a thing about trains is possibly the most like hilariously understated lyric, uh, <laughs> you know, ever committed to song. But but yeah, much like much like riding on the cotton belt embodies, you know, this sentimentalist Cash as a kid singing about his father. I've got a thing about trains sort of puts Cash in the father role, singing to his own son, um, John Carter, who was born just about a month or two after uh, that album, Hello, I'm Johnny Cash, from, from which the song came from. Uh, it came out in 1970. Uh, but the interesting thing I, I like about those two songs is that um, uh, I've Got a Thing About Trains is actually a Cowboy Jack Clement song. Um, it's not one that Cash wrote himself. And I think that really comes through in this sort of um, I guess I would call it maybe like defeated nostalgia of the lyrics, you know, like you're talking about. There's there's the verse that says, When my little boy says, Daddy, what was it like to ride a train? I'll just say it was a good way to travel when things didn't move quite so fast. 
And I'm sorry, son, that you can't ride one The trains are a thing of the past Train, train, train You're fading from the scene And I'm gonna mourn your passing And I mean, this is, you know, 1970 trains were still very much running uh, in 1970, but the song sort of portrays them like they're, uh, you know, archaic Roman chariots or Conestoga wagons or something. But um, it's really, it's a really beautiful song and, and Cash really nails the melancholy in his delivery. But however, if you kind of con- contrast Cowboy Jack Clements, um, I've got about thing, uh, I've got a thing about trains against the closing segment of that riding the rails TV special I was mentioning. Um, you'll find Cash's uh, sort of true stance on the evolving nature of, of traveling by train, because at the end of that, he optimistically proclaims that like now trains are coming back. So, you know, come along and ride this train and all that. And he, he boards this really like shiny slick Amtrak passenger train and uh, sings the, the theme song while the American countryside is just rolling by in the window beside him. And, and so I think he's he's actually like excited about the evolving nature of trains, um, you know, from steam engines to freight trains to faster locomotives to high speed cross country passenger trains. And he kind of has a couple celebratory songs for each step in the uh, evolutionary chain of progress. And every time there's a new one, he kind of uh, is able to memorialize the previous step and and also kind of. um celebrate that but yeah I, I love kind of thinking about those two songs being in conversation with each other because uh one of them definitely you know portrays trains as you know something you just can't experience anymore uh but he wishes he could pass it down to his son it's real interesting so moving on here if you know further into his career he begins using the railroad in a different way uh, so so how did that evolve i mean what are some examples um, of that evolution. Yeah. So, so when you get to Cash's later career records, um, especially his, you know, famous American recordings albums uh, with Rick Rubin, um, you really get to see Cash start using trains as a metaphorical device to, to sing about this sort of uh, existential migration through life. And, and then also about this sort of metaphysical migration, um, from, from life to death, uh, on his first American album with Ruben, uh, that came out in, I think it was like 94, um, you know, which was like his 81st album or something like that overall, just incredibly prolific. Uh, we, we see him kind of do this twice with his own song, uh, called let the train whistle blow and a track that was written for him specifically for him by a fellow train song devotee um, in Tom Waits. And, and that song was called down there by the train. Uh, and so in the first one that's, that's on that first American album uh, called let the train, uh, let the train blow the whistle cash. He he's in his early sixties at the time. He writes about the ease with which he wants to like pass on when, when his time comes. 
I don't want no aggravation When my train has left the station If you're there or not, I may not even know Have a round and remember things we did that weren't so tender Let the train blow the whistle when I go On my old guitar cell tickets So someone can finally pick it And tell the girls down at the Ritz I said hello Tell the gossipers and liars I will see them in the fire Let the train blow the whistle when I go um, And he playfully calls back to his rowdier days uh, saying things like, tell the gossipers and liars, you know, I'll see them in the fire. Or, have, a, have yourself another toke from my basket full of smoke, that sort of stuff. And then with Waits's Down There by the Train, that song traffics in much more sort of a redemptive rhetoric. You can hear the whistle, you can hear the bell from the halls of heaven to the gates of hell. And there's room for the forsaken if you're there on time. You'll be washed of all your sins and all of your crimes. If you're down there by the train, 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 down there. Where the train goes so between these two songs, you know, Cash sort of plays both sides of that center saint complex with with equal credibility and and genuineness. And then, you know, after he passes away in 2003, um, the posthumously released uh, fifth American album in that series, uh, it comes out and he has two more of these like existential train songs. Um, one is a, a Hank Williams cover of a song called On the Evening Train. I heard the laughter at the depot But my tears fell like the rain When I saw them place That long white casket In the baggage coach Of the evening train The baby's eyes are red from weeping its little heart is filled with pain oh daddy it cried they're taking mama away from us on the evening train that one mentions a train you know carrying a long white casket and it's hard not to think about cash uh at this point like his voice is like real frail and, and just a, a specter of, of that 
iconic boon that he once had. Um, when he's singing about that long white casket, you can't help but think that he's picturing, you know, June Carter, who who passed away just four months before he did. And then on the other hand, the the other song on that album, like the 309, um, this is the last song he wrote. The the last song uh, or the second to last song that he recorded in his last ever recording session. So, you know, he's doing this just like I think it's like three weeks before he died. Uh, that song finds him staring down his own mortality. It should be a while before I see Dr. Death. So it would sure be nice if I could get my breath. Well, I'm not the crying nor the whining kind. Till I hear the whistle of the 309, of the 309, of the 309. Put me in my box on the 309. Take me to the depot, put me to bed, blow an electric fan. On my gnarly old head Everybody take a look See I'm doing fine Then load my box On the 309 On the 309 On the 309 The lyric is is like it should be a while before I see Dr. Death, so it would sure be nice if I could uh, get my breath and you know there there's tongue-in-cheek and irony in that because not only is he super old super frail um but literally in the delivery he can he can barely croak out the line and so one of the really cool things i think about that song like 309 is uh you know like i said it was the last song he wrote it was captured in his final recording session um but it was only the second to last song of that session however the very last song he ever recorded right after like the 309 um what was also a train song. It ended up being a cover of the, uh, the old folk ballad, Engine 143. Along came the FFE, the swiftest on the line. Running over the CNO road, just 20 minutes behind. Running in to Sueville headquarters on the line receiving their strict orders from a station just behind um, and he was recording it for a Carter family tribute album called The Unbroken Circle and so this song is a, is another one that's about a real world train this one was the called the Fast Flying Virginian that was the name of the train um, and once again it was a story about uh, a train being behind schedule and, and wrecking. And this occurred in, I, th I think it was like the, the 1890s or something like that, like super old. But anyways, the, the final lines of the final verse um, are uh, the very last words, poor Georgie said was near my God to thee. And so that was the last line that Johnny Cash sang in his last ever recording session. Um, and I really can't think of a much more poetic picture that sort of, captures a life and an artistic catalog more perfectly than Johnny Cash singing that line to a train song in his, in his very last recording session. Definitely. I think, I think that's one of the like 
unique things about uh, musicians who spend just so much, so long um, in the in the spotlight, you know, because career started at what he's 22 with Hey Porter, and then it lasts. His last recording session is, you know, you said it was three weeks before he he passed away, um, and you can see just all those decades in there where he's changing how he interacts with the railroad. Um, yeah, absolutely fascinating. I, I think he is, he's an artist that was able to, to capture it in such a full spectrum, um, both the spectrum of the railroad and the spectrum of his own life um, in, in really unparalleled ways. Plus the songs are just great to listen to, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, perfect. So, all right, and if people are interested in learning more about this topic, uh, what resources would you recommend? And then if they're interested in hearing more of your work, uh, where should they go for that? Sure. Um, I would say if you're interested in learning more about uh, Cash's sort of uh, career-long love affair with trains, as I like to call it, um, I'd recommend starting with a couple of his uh, train-themed albums. Uh, he had an album called Ride This Train. Um, and another album called All Aboard the Blue Train. So it's really like, you know, a lot of these songs at once. Um, and like you said, I, I definitely recommend tracking down that Riding the Rails uh, TV special from the mid 70s. It's 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 seriously just uh, absolutely magical. Um, but also, if you want to see how his love affair with trains sort of inspired other artists and genres, um, I recommend spinning. There's this uh, fantastic like punk and folk tribute album called All Aboard uh, that came out. I think it was like in uh, 07 or 08. Um, Chuck Reagan sings the Wreck of the Old 97 and MXPX cranks Hey Porter up to like 11. Um, it's a it's a really super fun listen. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to find more about the topic, uh, definitely kind of start there. And if any of your listeners want to uh, follow any of my musical writings across a bunch of different genres, um, you can search my name in the archives of uh, sites like Rolling Stone and No Depression and the Grammys website. Um, or you can just follow my Twitter at will underscore hodge um and that's where you can be alerted to you know things that i've written and published or just see what vinyl i'm spinning that day just a bunch of randomness all right well thanks again for joining us today um i really appreciated it awesome for sure thank you again for the opportunity and uh and i love the podcast so thank you guys for what you're doing over there thank you for listening to roundhouse crosstalk a podcast created by the California State Railroad Museum. In our next episode, we will celebrate Halloween by showcasing some spooky stories about Old Sacramento State Historic Park and the railroad. So grab some s'mores and gather around. <laughs>